this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. This episode of Farm Tank is brought to you by AgSwag. AgSwag focuses on returning an ROI when it comes to corporate swag and client gifting to really take your business to the next level. AgSwag offers creative ways to build a winning culture in your business, smart strategies to lower customer acquisition costs, and a true vision to help your business improve customer retention rates. I've used AgSwag to help build the culture at Farm Tank, design logos, design t-shirts for special events, and really come up with a customer retention program to really start building brand ambassadors for my business. My theory is I can work with sweatshirts.com out of China that knows nothing about my business or agriculture itself, or I can use AgSwag, who are boots on the ground, submerged in agriculture every day, talking to farmers. I really use them as a sounding board when it comes to making decisions about corporate swag and client gifting. I know they're working with a lot of big companies such as Crop Risk Services at the moment, CGB, Lathrop and Gage, and they're even working with uh, the local farm to help them with employee retention and uh, customer retention problems when it comes to buying grain, renting ground. Uh, they're even expanded out into some construction businesses. I know they're working a lot with real estate companies they also have a CEO challenge out there right now as well. And you can contact me about that and I'd be happy to send it your way. But it's uh, seven secret questions to challenge every CEO. And I know they haven't got any CEOs to actually get all seven questions right. So it might be a good challenge just for you to try if you want to do AgSwag or not. Be sure to give AgSwag a call at 816-221-SWAG. They're always the go-to creative resource for swag and unique client gifting ideas. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to Jay Felton. Jay grew up on a farm as a ranch hand at Felton Ranch, but chose to take his talents elsewhere after attending the University of Missouri, earning a bachelor's degree in political science. After earning his undergraduate, Jay attended the University of Virginia School of Law and graduated in 1989 as a Hardy Cross Dillard Scholar. After law school, Jay went on to work for a law clerk for the Honorable John R. Gibson at the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. He also became an instructor at the University of Missouri for nine years in 1999. In addition, Jay is also a fifth-generation farmer and remains actively involved in his family's row crop operations today. Jay is currently a litigation partner at Lathrop GPM and has been selected to the Super Lawyers nine times. With that, I'd like to welcome Jay to the show. Thank you very much, Jordan. Yeah, uh, we're actually here live here in uh, Lathrop Gage in Kansas City. Do most of my podcasts on the phone, but uh, we're right down the street from each other, so figured we might as well do it live. And we've uh, talked about some things earlier today, shared some great thoughts, and uh, we're hoping to dive into a little bit of it today. And I actually had a little bit of a game plan, but we've uh, talked about some stuff, and I think we're going to talk about just a little bit more in depth of some ideas we bounced off each other recently today as well. So uh, let's just start this podcast off by talking a little bit about Farm Tank. Jay is a weekly reader of mine, big fan of Farm Tank, follows my podcast, follows Farm Tank Friday, 
let's just talk a little bit why you're keeping up with Farm Tank. Why, why do you follow Farm Tank? Why do you listen to the podcast? Why do you read the Farm Tank Friday? Well, Jordan, welcome to Lathrop GPM. Glad to have <laughs> you here. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, podcasts and I like to read things that make me think. And for me, Farm Tank, I never know what's going to come next, which is great because it, in my mind, I'm going to hear something different and unique and a different perspective. I do find there's a thread amongst some of the people, and it's fun to kind of sort through and find that thread. And I think we'll probably talk about some of those things, but people that have a passion for what they're doing, people that have a strong work ethic, uh, a lot of the people you've interviewed have a similar kind of one thing in their background that is similar. Uh, but it always makes me think it's the same reason I read the read the report every day and follow what you're doing on Farm Tank. Good deal. Let's just start a little bit on the background. Let's dive a little bit more into this podcast. Uh, where, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to high school, college, first real job? You probably didn't get into many startups, but let's uh, <laughs> maybe just first real jobs you had and then some jobs out of college. Let's uh, go with that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll be glad to tell you, I, I, I'll preface this by, this by saying I think uh, – uh, I'm probably one of the luckiest guys you're going to meet uh, in, in 2020 or get to talk to in 2020. I've been, been very fortunate in my life and career. I, I grew up as a fifth-generation farmer up in rural northwest Missouri uh, outside of a town called Maryville and went to high school at Maryville R2 High School, the home of the Maryville Spoofhounds, which is uh, in the, in the uh, high school mascot hall of fame. I'm a proud, proud spoofhound. Um, and then uh, grew up on the farm there, which was a row crop operation, a cattle operation, and uh, had a lot of great experiences on the farm growing up. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about how you grew up on a farm. A lot of people think I interview a lot of business leaders and whatnot, and they're just CEOs. But when it comes down to it, I'd say more than not, a lot of people did grow up on a farm, the people I do interview. So what was like your day-to-day role? What was it like? growing up on a farm. So we had a, a pretty modest operation, a uh, row crop operation in purebred Hereford cattle, and my dad was really focused on a line bred purebred Hereford herd. And we sold primarily sold bulls around the country. And uh, so what I did was very seasonal. Uh, you know, when we were into, in the row crop season, we were getting the fields ready or planting or, 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 or man, mining the crops. We were more focused on that. But where they used me more day to day from the time I was pretty small was with cattle. And at that point, on a horse. And uh, I was a thoroughly mediocre cowboy, but I loved it. I <laughs> uh, loved growing up uh, taking care of the cattle, and it taught me a lot of very valuable lessons. So what are you guys doing on the farm today? My brother has uh, come back after his, his, some time in Austin, Texas, uh, singing country music, and he's now back, and he's focused in Red Angus, and that's his operation. And then he and I together run the row crop operation. What are you guys growing? Mainly corn? or Corn and soybeans. And... Uh, listening very carefully to you and your father about the future of both those things. But, yeah, yeah so corn and soybeans, and um, I'm doing my darndest to, with my kids to get a sixth generation up there. But uh, we were um, – it was funny, we, from FarmCon, I was up walking the fields, getting the fields ready with my 14-year-old son, and we talked specifically about you know, identifying different crops and ideas and, and what different fields we could do and segregate and how we could set those up. Yeah. Did you say your uh, brother was a country singer? Yeah, he, the gun hand. No, he was in Austin, Texas. Oh, as he would say he made hundreds of dollars a year singing country music, but he made, made a little bit more money with the real estate. But he had a, they had a really good run down doing country music. He's down now back to Maryville. We're lucky to have him back there. Good. So uh, sticking to the farm on your position today at Latham & Gage, what, is, what lessons did you take away growing up on a farm that you really have applied 
to your job today? That's interesting. I uh, it's a great question. I you know the I think you you grow up on a farm and especially at a young age you learn the importance of hard work and there's really nothing that replaces that work ethic and it's what we do every day. Um, now, to the extent you grow up as a kid and you think in your work hard, working hard like I, I'm sure I did and a lot of other uh, farm kids did, uh, whenever I thought I was working too hard, my dad would trade me out to one of the dairy guys that had operations near us. Then I'd go work with them for a while, and then I realized who really worked for a living were the dairy farmers back in the day. So for us, I learned the importance of hard work and from a very young age, uh, the importance of responsibility. I mean, if you if you're on a horse or you're on a, whatever you're driving, you're out checking checking a field to see if, if cows are going to calve. It's your responsibility. No one knows you're going what you're going to do if you're going to do it or not. But it's up to you to do it and, and have that responsibility, importance of doing it and doing the job right. Um, and that really valuable lessons that I, I I've tried to uh, apply in everything I've done, whether it be in business, the, in the business of practice of law, or in my other business interests, and on our, our our operation today. And I'm certainly trying to instill it in my kids. Good deal. I think you uh, knew this one was going to come up, but coming into your college years, why Mizzou? I probably know that because uh, you're from Missouri, but I'm I'm a Razorback. I'm a Razorback. <laughs> I now. am sorry we've had to had to had to had to take that state line trophy home with us for uh-huh. so many years in a row. We have a permanent trophy case for it at the University of Missouri, <laughs> and and I, if you want to come visit, I'll be glad to take you down to a Mizzou game. In yeah. fact, I'll be glad to take you to the uh, Missouri-Arkansas game we uh, here in Kansas City, if you'd like to go. Yeah, we should make that a tradition. Uh, I'm excited for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for that, too. I just yeah, we like, should go. I just hope that we uh, – I'm really excited about our, our new coach, and uh, it's an exciting time, and now you have our old coach. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rivalry will continue. You know, I, the University of Missouri was a dream school for me, Jordan. You know, I grew up working. I knew I'd need to get some scholarships and uh, didn't know if I was going to end up going to the Army or going to Northwest Missouri State University, uh, which is a really great university there in Maryville. But um, I got got very fortunate and, and got some scholarships and got a chance to go to Missouri. It was really a, a dream school for me and a great experience for me. Yeah, I was, uh, I think I was going through your LinkedIn and you're in a fraternity. You were in a fraternity. I was a proud member of Beta Theta Pi, and it was a great experience for me, especially walking onto a campus when I literally knew one other person. <laughs> so it was a great way to meet people. I had met uh, met people through that, and my um, a lot of good fraternities down there. But it's just a great way for a, a farm boy. They uh, they like they like the like to recruit guys from outstate Missouri, especially guys that like to play sports and. Uh, put some good grades on the board. So uh, it was yeah. a good experience for me. What, uh, let's uh, jump into a little bit about Virginia law. Why, why Virginia? Did you have any other offers? Were you looking at other places? Or I was, again, very fortunate to get to look at a, a lot of the schools. And I, 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 uh, the real hard thing for me was whether I was going to leave Missouri because I'm a Missouri guy at heart. Uh, but I really just wanted to – I had a chance to look at the, the top ten schools and, and visit them. And I walked on the campus, the University of Virginia, and, and it felt like home. Uh, I'll always be a Missouri guy at heart, but my three years there in Charlottesville was spectacular experience, wonderful uh, history, wonderful education, and, and just great people from all over the United States. So it was, it was an ideal experience for me. Yeah, one, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty cool that you left Missouri to go there. I was going to go to law school, and money reasons I was going to come back here to UMKC but uh I really wanted to go to Arkansas that was like I was like I'm I want to stay here and it's my spot but 
made more sense to come home. And There's still plenty of time to go to law school. Yeah, now. that's I what mean, my dad no, says. There's plenty I, of time for that. And we have great graduates from uh, UMKC and from Arkansas. You know, Lathrop GPM, when I joined the firm, had uh, 40 lawyers, and now we have 400. Yep. And, and uh, although we're based in Kansas City, we have offices from Boston to St. Louis and Chicago and Minneapolis and Kansas City and Denver and Los Angeles and Dallas. So we have offices all across the country. Um, we're always looking for good new lawyers, and we ha- employ a lot of great business people here yeah. too. And I know, you, you know, someone like you could come in and build a brand. Uh, we have a lot of folks doing that. Yeah, too. funny. Uh, funny thing is, we came in. Me and my dad came in and talked to you guys, and we left. And I was like, man, Dad, if you would have showed me that place maybe before. I decided law school. I might have made a different decision. I can get an office for you, Jordan. No problem. No, no problem. You ready to come? Well, just let me know. Um, let's. I wanted to hear a little bit about your experience with uh, John R. Gibson. What was that like? Who Who was he exactly? Gosh. I didn't do much research, but he's a, you know he's one of those. Uh, I, I, it's a it's a cliche term, but he's truly one of the greatest generation. I mean, he was a self made fella who grew up in Southwest Missouri, very very humble origins, raised by extended family. And uh, he was so bright as a kid that the family and the community wanted to send him to the University of Missouri. And uh, he was able to go there. But World War II happened. So he went and fought in both the European theater and in the Pacific theater. And then came back and went to school. And uh, was developed uh, an outstanding law practice here and was appointed by the president twice to become a federal judge, first a federal district judge and then a federal court of appeals judge. Um, and I learned a lot from him. Just a great, great person. What about, uh, what, what was probably the best lesson you took away from him? It's, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of good lessons, but you, you never regret being prepared. So, all, you know, never regret being prepared. You know, yeah. always be prepared. Yeah, my dad, uh, one nailed in my head to this day is he'd always say, well, son, Failure to be prepared is prepared to fail. So. That's exactly right. So, uh, I never saw. And I we uh, when you're a federal clerk, you're, it's like it's a really awesome opportunity. I felt blessed to have had it. Went with had two other co-clerks that were brilliant from around the country, and we would uh, work with the judge for a year, and then move back and go out into private practice. So it's kind of a one year. You're a fed federal lawyer for a year with a federal judge. In the, in this instance, the Eighth Circuit, which is in the Midwest part of the United States, in the federal court system. Um, so you get to see him every day, and then you see him interact with other judges. And uh, I, it, all the days I worked with him, I didn't see him where he wasn't meticulously prepared. And he always took the heavy end of the piano when we were getting ready to go into uh, arguments or whatever was going on. He let, let the, left the more interesting things for the clerks and my co-clerks and myself, and, and just a wonderful person. And uh, remained close with him after I clerked with him, and uh, just he was a blessing in my life. Yeah, that's... Uh... Definitely good lessons. Sounds like you got some good role models. I think that's pretty good on our background. I want to jump into, I know we didn't take any time to kind of prepare for this, but let's talk about what we were kind of talking about earlier with some of the issues happening right now. Um, Keep in mind, this could, I'm planning on releasing this next week, but some of this could change, but we're fairly quick on timeline. Um, Let's talk about, and we're going to get into about your personal life as well after that, but Let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus. Um, it seems to be a huge, huge headline right now. Uh, a lot of questions in agriculture surrounding it. A lot of questions everywhere surrounding it. What, what are you seeing on your front? Yeah. And uh, 
what do you think we need to be prepared for? I'm certainly no expert when it comes down to the epidemiology and, the, and, and what's going on there, but this is, uh, the coronavirus is a significant concern. Contagion always is. Uh, and we've been tracking it. I chair Lathrop GPM's uh, Agriculture and Food Practice Group, which goes all across the country, all up and down the production chain, all the way from the tech companies to input providers to producers to food processors to restaurants. I mean, we, we're up and down the chain. And uh, so we've been tracking it pretty closely, primarily initially because of supply chain disruption. And for us, it's looking at your contracts and seeing if you're going to start losing access to some of your, some of your products. Um, and we've been tracking that also as it's impacted the markets. Um, and the, the only recent example we have to really look at is SARS. And this is tracking a little bit differently. Um, if you have a highly vir- uh, contagious virus like this, you're not going to stop it per se. It's going to it's going to hit and it's going to spread. It's just a matter of preparing for it, and we don't have enough background information on it yet. So it's really good that we're working diligently uh, to understand how it spread, how long how long the incubation period is, and and how people can best prepare for it because we need to prepare for it. Uh, so that's what I think my clients are doing. I do have uh, quite a few clients that are international. Uh, my work for them is based in the U.S., but they have an international perspective and and. And they're also impacted by it. Uh, most of the ones in China are having their China partners back, going back online at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's something we track pretty carefully. Do you, do you think it's going to come to the U.S. pretty heavily like it came to China? Or? I think it's a different, we have a different system, uh, healthcare system here. Um, you know, I, I, I think we will continue to have to deal with it uh, and deal with the spread of it. And I hopefully we'll have sooner rather than later, maybe by the time you have this podcast on, uh, we'll know a little bit more about how long it's going to be contagious outside of the, the carrier, uh, how long the incubation period is, what are the best practices uh, to avoid it, what populations are most at risk. And then we can adjust accordingly. This country, uh, greatest country ever, and we know how to respond to, to challenges, and I think we'll be able to respond to the challenges. We have a great healthcare system. Um, I know always can have room for improvement, but we'll have an opportunity to address it. So I think you can't, you can't get to an antiviral you know, vaccine fast enough, and you can't get to the antivirals, whatever the cocktail formulation they come up with that's going to be best to fight it. You can't get to that fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people are on it. Let's, uh, let's move over to the summit. Okay. Um, I know... You guys have invited my dad to attend. Um, some of his friends also attend. We're not too familiar with it on our end as a family. Uh, I know we spoke a little bit about it earlier, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners just a little bit about it. Sure. The, the Summit at the Summit is a, is an event that was started by Don Borgman and Don Latham and Steve Barr um, as the founding fathers of it. Uh, quite a while ago out in Colorado to get together for a no attribution meeting of agribusiness leaders to kind of have an opportunity where they could sit and debate and discuss what they see happening, not the next year, but the next 10 years or the next 20 years. And to have good, fulsome debate and dialogue and bring in experts in different fields. And uh, the key to that was to keep it closed again. So people can say whatever they, whatever they want and know they're not going to have, have it end up uh end up in the news um, and it's attracted a lot of really great people um, and I feel very fortunate uh, I, I think they needed at least one lawyer which is why I got invited but uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'm the only lawyer that goes but it's it's more focused on agriculture and I was ultimately 
I think I ultimately got invited because I, I taught a class on uh, the 2050 world at the, in the Honors College at the University of Missouri for 10 years. So I got invited to come out because of that class and because of some of the topics that I was dealing with in that class in the 2050 world. And then uh, they, they kept inviting me back. So um, great people, great topics. Um, yeah. I, for instance, I know we're going to talk, uh, we'll talk a lot about the evolution, I think, at the next summit of the fluid milk market. So it won't be what it's going to be in December of 20. It's going to be what's happened to fluid milk consumption per capita. Why has it happened? Is that what's the next step in that in the dairy fluid milk area? And it, what do we learn from that? that could it potentially impact other parts yeah. of, I, of the chain? I know you said it was uh, closed for the most part. Can you can you speak about some of the topics you guys covered last year on? A- more feeding broad. the world, feeding the world. We always debate that. There's a good, healthy debate over whether uh, whether we're going to be able to feed the to 2050 world, and uh, and some people think that's going to be a challenge, and some people think it's distribution. Uh, are we going to feed? Are we going to be able to feed the world the right things we should be feeding the world, uh, and how we handle how we handle that issue? That's always when we talk about um, the disconnect. This is something I mentioned at FarmCon. The disconnect that we have between the people that produce the food, which I think aggressively we can say is 2%. It's probably a lot smaller than that. It would count you and me in that 2% if we do 2%. Mm-hmm. But 100% of people eat. But the 2% and 100%, the disconnect and the gap between the producers of food and the consumers of food is growing. And we ignore that in agriculture at our own peril because it's going to lead to incredible challenges to us. And you and I were talking about it earlier about what people eat and why they eat it and what their perception is about what they're eating. And we need to be conscious of the consumers and not pedantic to them. We need to engage them and, and help them understand what we produce. I think American farmers will produce whatever you want to eat. We just need to know what they want to eat and uh, and get it done. But we need to have that dialogue. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last question before we jump into about you. I like to uh, maybe stump some people, get them to think a little bit. But what's uh, Do you have a philosophy by which you live by? A philosophy. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, uh, you know, I, I actually was thinking about that, and I've listened to enough of your podcast that I knew that was coming, <laughs> so I'm going to warn you. I actually, I, you. I actually thought about that. You, th- you threw me off. Yeah. So uh, I got a few, if that's okay. Yeah. You know, be who you are, and that sounds silly maybe, but be true to yourself. I think so many people... Uh, spend so much time being who, trying to be what people, they think they should be or being what other people think they should be. Just be who you are. Be true to yourself. I guess that's that's something I learned from my grandpa. Uh, never regret being prepared. I got that one from Judge Gibson. Uh, be early often. Uh, always. Be, sorry, be early always. Uh, you never regret that either. Um, personally, you know, my own, if I have like an overarching philosophy, though, would be Faith in, faith in the Lord and treat every day like a gift. Treat every day like a gift because it is. It goes fast. And my dad's favorite saying, which is have fun because nobody else is going to have it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. A uh, few of the people, one of the biggest lessons a lot of uh, people I've had on the podcast preach is be on time. That's be one of the- Don't be on time. Be early. Yeah, yeah. Be yeah, early. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you, Tim McNamara, General Counsel of BKD, uh, who taught me for years and as General Counsel there. Uh, Tim McNamara taught me that early. And I never got here earlier than him, but he always taught me to 
<laughs> be early. And uh, if I'm if I'm any good at being a lawyer, it's because of Tim McNamara. Yeah, let's uh, let's move aside from the career background, some uh, stuff that's happening right now. Let's let's go move into more of a personal perspective on what Jay makes Jay tick. Uh, you told me you're a pretty big family person. You got a wife, three kids. Um, seem like they're pretty important to you. You got anything? Let's t- let's just talk about them a little bit. Share a little bit why sure. they're so important to you. Who they are? Sure. I'm, again, I'm blessed. Amy and uh, Amy and I have three great kids: Austin, Grace, and Faith, who are uh, ten. I mean, fourteen, ten, and eight. Uh, we live up in Parkville, Missouri, about an hour and hour and twenty-five minutes from the farms up in Maryville, and uh, about forty-five minutes from my father-in-law's farm, who's a wonderful. Wonderful person and his wife's uh, farm out in Tonganoxie, um, so we're perfectly positioned between those two. And and uh, you know my family's uh, family's the focus of my life, along with my faith. Um, uh, you know, I spend as much time with them as I can and try to involve them in what I'm doing as much as I can. Um, I talk to all three of my kids about this podcast because they are fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. I think my 14 year old primarily wondering why would anybody want to interview you for a podcast. <laughs> But um, anyway, just uh, just great. Um, I think I told you I was we were playing chess last night talking about podcast questions. So. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, sounds like he's making it happen on YouTube a little bit. <laughs> he's got told. his own YouTube channel, and he's much more much more up on the the, the social media and, and, and communications than I am. But I learn a lot from him every day, and they're a great a great blessing a great blessing in my life and. Uh, a lot of what I do is focused around those kids. I think last weekend it was at soccer games or safety marshal at a swim meet or uh, otherwise trying to I think trying to get up to Maryville to get help my mom and get on the farm. So always pretty busy. Yeah. What about? Uh, seems like you're a pretty big outdoors guy. You yep. said uh, you like that. I think we were talking a little bit about hiking in Colorado earlier, hunting, fishing. I got to For me, I think I said you know every day is a gift. You know, get out and feel the sun on your face or the wind. Get out there and, and enjoy every day. And I love being outdoors. You know, for me, uh, a lot of that's involved with the kids. I coach coach my kids. I've coached all my kids' soccer teams over the years. Although I didn't ever, I was a football, basketball, and track guy. Uh, I've learned to learn to coach soccer uh, for ten years. Uh, coaching my kids in various different levels enjoy being outside with them doing that enjoy hiking and, and we live in a we live near a, kind of a nature area there in Parkville and hiking around and, and being outdoors any any excuse I have to get outside to get outside you ever done any like crazy hikes like big mountains any like craziest hike I ever did this is funny I didn't know you'd ask this the craziest hike I've ever done was at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> up the outside of the Great Pyramid at Giza Okay. Uh, which is obviously not legal, but uh, <laughs> but it, there's a there's an un, when I did it there was a, a a not so secret industry where you could pay the the Cairo the Giza the Giza antiquities people to have one of their kids usually take you up the outside of the Great Pyramid and then back down, yeah. which is I gotta say spectacular and and terrifying at the same time so that would be my biggest climb probably yeah uh i don't think that counts as a mountain but the top of the great pyramid outside of the top pyramid of giza uh you know which is 4500 years old uh was probably the craziest hike i've ever done and i was awfully glad to get back down (laughs) and put both feet on the ground yeah was that the highest you've been or no i when i was i was a boy scout so i think the probably the highest mountain i got climbed scrambled to the top of was mount baldy when i went down to philmont when i was a kid yeah um did some hiking i i was an exchange student lived uh lived in 
uh, lived in Australia, New Zealand, did some did some climbing in, in New Zealand. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. Did some yeah. climbing there, but nothing, nothing, too, nothing too high. Yeah. What about uh, Cedric Break Hunter? Um, like to go hunting? I'm Any a, uh, crazy hunting trips you've been on? I'm a thoroughly, thoroughly mediocre hunter as well. <laughs> I mean, I love to hunt, but. I love to go. My, my favorite thing to hunt right now would be, and we're getting ready for it right now, uh, or the turkeys in the spring uh, with my son, a 14-year-old, and then my father-in-law, uh, who's, like I said, a wonderful outdoorsman, great, great hunter. So getting out with those two and getting out for some spring turkey hunting, is that's top of my list. I, I wouldn't, there's no one else, nowhere else in the world that I'd rather be than hunting with those two and uh, either out in Tonganoxie or up, up, uh, up in North Missouri. Yeah, you got any, like, uh bucket list hunting trips you ever want to go on or i've always wanted to go pheasant hunt, hunting up in the dakotas and have never gone i always thought that yeah be we'll need to we'll need to do that uh, i needed to go up as well so i've always wanted to do that uh again thoroughly mediocre at, at it but i sure enjoy being outside and uh i can have a great day hunting and not have to not have to not have to fire a shot so Good deal. let's um i know you wanted to talk a little bit about books let's let's talk about some books you're reading maybe share i talk a little bit about books as well um, let's just share with our listeners maybe some good reads or having some recommendations for myself as well. So, you know, I like to, I, I try to do a three book rotation and try to keep three balls in the air just to keep things interesting. Uh, so I'll tell you what I'm reading now, but I'm going to also give you a book that I finished that, I, that just stays with you. You ever have a book that just kind of stays with you? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm reading uh, David Roll's uh, Defender of the Republic, uh, which is a George Marshall biography. It's, it's a new George Marshall biography. And it's a new take on some of, of, of his incredible, you know, world-changing career. It's a great read. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty dense biography, but it's, it's worth the time if you're interested in that and just how he impacted. So David Roll and the Defender of the Republic, I, I, I would recommend. I'd recommend that one. Uh, Ryan Holiday has uh, written a number of outstanding books on Stoicism. And uh, I think uh, I think you know ego is the enemy is of, of his most recent three uh, is spectacular. Obstacles the way is really good, uh, all really strong strong books and really worth the time to get if you're interested in stoic thought at all. Ryan Holiday and he also has a great podcast and a great uh, a great website, The Daily Stoic. Uh, really strong and really highly recommend his stuff. And uh, when I <laughs> When I was a kid, um, and I was 15, and I, I lived in Australia, and I was an exchange student, I would go talk to different groups or about the United States and about agriculture. And I randomly, in a used bookstore, ran across some uh, Louis L'Amour books and started reading about the Sackett family. So I, I've decided to go back and read all the Sackett books again from Louis L'Amour, uh, uh, which is, is fun. And I'm reading the Sackett brand, which is my favorite Sackett book, uh, which is kind of fun right now. The book I recommend... For you, if you got one to read and you can read it in an hour, is The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse uh, uh, by Charlie uh, Maxey or McCasey. Um, it's a, it, it's a, it, it is an interesting, quick book about the importance of, of kindness and, uh, and love and family. Just a beautiful book. And like I said, you can read it in an hour, and I think you can read it. Read it once and, and get something out of it, or read it ten times and probably get something out of it. That's probably that that would be one I'd recommend for you. Yeah, um, I know people know what I like to read, and you probably know what I like to read. But uh, on your perspective or your opinion, what, what's one of your favorite books you've ever read? 
Josh, what's yours? Um, hmm, that'd be hard. I, I, no, I, I really like Shakespeare. I'm big Shakespeare, probably overall Shakespeare guy. Um, studied English in college, as you know. And you can read it, and and read it, uh, and you can read the, especially the big ones. Yeah. I, I found that when I read Hamlet, which I, I love Shakespeare too. I know we share that. Um, I, when I read it when I was 15, I read it one way. When I was 25, another. And then 45, another. Yeah. And different perspectives, different characters. And I love the I love the I love the the, the classic books. I. You know, it's 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 kind of like your favorite ice cream. I like them all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't I don't have a I don't have uh, a particular book. Uh, would you say the class? You would lean towards the classics more than something in modern day? Oh, I, I read I read I read everything I can get my hands on. Yeah. I just don't have enough time to read everything I'd like to read. Um, so yeah, I, I, I the, if the the ones I will reread are the classics, yeah. and it's fascinating with my kids going back and rereading. Uh, Hemingway or, or London uh, or any of the the classics, the classic books that that I've read to read them again and see them through their eyes mm-hmm. is 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 fascinating to me. Yeah, so. I just I just like the critical thinking part of those. There's just so open, so many. It's crazy how many different ways people can take it. Like uh, we'll sit, I'd be sitting in class and there wouldn't be one answer that's the same. No, there's not. And, you know, so I try to read, and I have a I have a really great group of buddies that have a, a, an interesting book club that picks out books that I would never pick out, which I find I kind of like too. Um, and uh, I think just just making you think and stretching sometimes to try things different. That even if you don't don't particularly, it's not your cup of tea. At least you've tried it, and I think continuing to to challenge yourself, lifelong learning, is the key. And, and being able to, to 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 really challenge challenge yourself, I and you know what, and then I'll get into a thing where I will read Nordic murder mysteries. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you find all sorts of different types of things you might find of interest. My current kind of kind of fun reads are the the Louis L'Amour you know, Sackett books. So yeah, you know, I think you can't get too serious about anything. You know, yeah. you need to have fun with it. If you make it, uh, 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 you know, you dread it, then then that's not you're not reading the right books. So. Yeah, do you get into uh do you read a lot of like uh, modern day fiction? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. I, you know, and I, I like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that uh, have been more, you know, more interesting. Feral Sam's not it's not modern, but just kind of different fiction and just different some of the different authors I've read that I that I find of interest. And I, you know, I will. I, I'm. I, I don't have any particular other than I guess I'm a completist when it comes to some <laughs> some of the. Some of the Craig, like I've read every Longmire book because I like Craig Johnson anyway. Yeah. So I mean, you, you'll, you'll find you know find a find a, spe- a specific writer in a specific genre. But other than that, I kind of look to see what I find might find interesting. My mom uh, ran a bookstore for over a decade, so and my mom has a book club that's I'm not I'm not <laughs> worthy I'm not worthy to attend attend it. But uh, she'll always come up with something I've never heard of and read. Dark Horse is the next one up on my on my, on my list. Yeah, so. I don't. One thing I probably dropped the ball on since school was definitely picking up fiction books written in kind of today's era. Um, one that I haven't read, I really need to get around to, is Harry Potter. Have you read the Harry Potters? Or? All of them. Really? And twice. You big Harry Potter fan? Yeah, because my you know I read it, read them first. You know I've read all the Tolkien books and all the C.S. Lewis books, and 
and the Rowling's books I enjoyed. And then I've gotten to enjoy them through the eyes of my son, and now I'm enjoying them through the eyes of my 10-year-old. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's just it, it's just a different it's escapism fun you know reading. So yeah, not not the biggest Harry Potter fan, but her stories just. I like the really, books more than the movies, but yeah, I mean the, I haven't seen the movies either. You, I just, usually usually they are that's the way it goes. So yeah. I enjoy my kids. My kids will pick uh, pick out what they want. Uh, my my eight year old is reading Who Is, which is a series of books about famous people, and last night was all about Who Is Albert Einstein. Mm. And uh, anyway, so you, you, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm Jordan. I'm pretty impacted by my kids as to what, what I'm reading and <laughs> yeah. what I'm watching and what I'm doing. But uh, I think just like the key is lifelong learning and challenge yourself, and, and that's the key. Yeah, before we uh, – I think that's enough about books. I think we got a little <laughs> nuts. But uh, before we jump in a little bit about Lathrop and Gage and what you're doing now, um, tell me a little bit about some ways you've been volunteering in the community lately. seems like a c- common – trend with my guests they like to give back um seems like every guest i have likes to talk about giving back to the community helping others yeah i mean that's it's uh i'm blessed I, i'm uh, i've been fortunate to have had a lot of people step up and help me over the course of my career uh and so i you know always want to give back and i enjoy it so it comes in a variety of different forms. Um, through the firm, we do a lot of pro bono initiative work um, in, for a variety of not-for-profits, some that are sponsored by the firm, some that are client-related, and some that just, if you have a particular area of passion, um, and particularly we're really focused, I'm focused on making sure that the students that come out of high school and college are prepared for the world that's going to be changing and, and uh, making sure they're having the right skills and matching them up, especially... Uh, trying to get to, to at-risk youth and disadvantaged youth that have been had challenged, challenged backgrounds to make sure they, they're ready for the community, uh, the, the environment, not community, but the, the workplace. We're going to change radically over the next you know, 25, 35 years. The jobs that we do now are going to change dramatically, and, and getting, uh, getting, making sure we're providing them with the opportunities and, 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 and uh, giving them the skills to learn. Um, I do a lot of work with the, the Kansas City Area Development uh, Council um, on helping bring uh, business to Missouri and Kansas because I have a passion for the area and want to help there. I do a volunteer work through the University of Missouri, which I attended. Um, and giving back, and I do a lot of work for the church. So try to keep busy. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, let's jump into a little bit about Lathrop and Gage, or or, or you guys are rebranded now. What? It's, what's Lathrop, the right? Lathrop, Lathrop GPM. Lathrop. Lathrop uh, GPM. Perfect. Great Plant Moody, which is a great firm uh, uh, up uh, Minnesota based, uh, with offices across the Minnesota and in Washington D.C. We merged on January first and became Lathrop GPM, um, and combined firm is uh, a full service law firm that represents. Uh, you know, wide spectrum of clients from Fortune 500 companies to mid-market companies to uh, to entrepreneurial companies like Agswag yeah. uh, to help uh, help them uh, navigate their way and, and, and grow and, and help them accomplish their goals and objectives. Um, we do everything from helping organize businesses to helping protect intellectual property um, to helping handle regulatory issues or litigation when it arises. Yeah, uh, share a little bit about uh, where we're sitting right now, a little bit about your office. Um, pretty cool spot in town. I actually didn't know this kind of existed till I came over here, but uh, 
Well, we, I, I, I like coming it, over here. We can get an office for you. If you want to come over and help, yeah. you can, I'm sure we could use your talents. Um, so we're at, two, we're at 235 Grand Boulevard in Kansas City, and if you can't, you know, our name's on the top of the building, so you can see us. And uh, we are the epicenter of the uh, of the Chiefs Victory Parade. You, they, the whole parade I saw that. Turned, How was that? It was, it was spectacular. I, I actually, I actually uh, had it live streamed. I was actually at a client at a meeting out of town, so I was not here for. It, but I, got I wasn't a, either. I had so. a live stream from uh, from my office. Other people in my office <laughs> sent it to me so I could see it. But I had committed to uh, be with clients, and most importantly, you know, in any type of services show versus tell. So I was uh, down there with down there with the clients. Um, I uh, so we're located centrally in Kansas City. It was important for us to stay in the heart of the city to help continue to be part of uh, what I think is a great renaissance in, in the downtown area, especially Crossroads area, kind of where we are between Crown Center and downtown. And an exciting time to see all the growth in the area in Europe. That's where you're based too. So yeah, right up well, it, it is a busier place than it was ten years ago. Growing city for sure. I Absolutely. think we've passed up St. Louis. It seems like pretty big time. Absolutely, but you know, like so we have offices all across the country and, and great offices. And glad to show any of those you'd like to go visit, Jordan. All right. Well, where are your other offices at? So east to west, Boston, Chicago, St. Louis, um, Minneapolis, Jefferson City, Kansas City. Okay, I missed it. Dallas, sorry. Dallas. Kansas City, Overland Park, Boulder, Denver, and Los Angeles. Cool. Seems like there's lots of lawyers out there, obviously. Seems like uh, definitely growing market on that end. Lots of them extremely smart, like yourself. I was just wondering how you yourself and Lathrop GPN, GPM, is that what we're calling it now? GPM? Lathrop GPM. GPM. How, how you guys continuously keep a competitive advantage in the law space, per se. I haven't had any lawyers on. I'm obviously almost pursued a law career. I'm intrigued in the space. I'm just uh, interested how you guys do keep a competitive advantage. Is it is it research or is it, I'm not really sure. I, I guess I'll leave it to you to answer. It's a, it's a fascinating industry. It continues to change. It's been radically disrupted by uh, this will sound familiar to you because of agriculture, right? So it'll radically disrupted by technology and consolidation. Um, but it's glor- it's a great industry, uh, and I, I, I feel fortunate to be, to be an attorney. Uh, I'm very fortunate to also have had uh, some clients I've been with for a long time. I think the key differentiator, uh, at least for us, is we have a team focus uh, and each client, you know, each of the, the key clients have a client team that is focused on that client, that client's business, that client's goals and objectives. And, you know, we, we do that as part of our prep on our, on our time, not theirs. And we hopefully, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're anticipating issues before they have them. We're helping them plan and navigate a highly competitive environment wherever they're producing a good or a service or whatever they may do. And we really, truly partner with them. Um, and uh, I said it earlier, I think it's the key is to show versus tell. All right, you can talk about it all you want. You need to show it. Mm-hmm. You, need to, you need to be that partner and be with them. You need to anticipate the issues that they might have and raise them, uh, raise them with the client and, and be, be a good partner with them. And you need to ge- be genuine. Be who you are. Be true to yourself. Be who you are. Um, and I, I find that clients will end up having longer-term relationships with attorneys and with firms that where they have a shared culture. Mm-hmm. 
And so you're, if you're if you're fortunate, like I've been, you find that right fit, and then you you get to to get to enjoy the enjoy the ride together. Yeah. Do you see uh, technology disrupting the space, the oh. law space, as you move forward? <laughs> radically, radically disruptive. Whether it's bots or collaborative AI or 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 borderless borderless practice of law, it's it's impacted it dramatically. But uh, it's been to the benefit of Lathrop GPM. Because uh, when I first started, uh, practice was really more geographically focused and then became regionally and then super regionally and then it became more client focused. Uh, and for us, we continue and our growth continues because the clients have said, we need to have you here. Mm-hmm. You need to have this I, uh, akin to a, a store. You need to have this on the shelf, have it ready. And you listen to your clients, you listen to your customers and you provide value. Yeah. Is there one question I had? Is there a day that you see in the future that people won't like attorneys won't be rep, like real people attorneys won't be representing people in the courtroom? Would it? You think it could turn into a bot or? I think that's a great question. You know, ninety. I don't. Know, if you do out commercial disputes. I don't know if it's ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent of the major commercial disputes already settle. So if you get it into whether the actual trial is a bot, I don't know. Uh, certainly uh, helping with mediation and, and really uh, cases should only be tried if there's a real disagreement as to facts and through discovery you should be sharing those facts or real uncertainty as to law and the court generally is going to interpret the law so you know what the law is. Um, so you better have a good reason for spending the time, energy, and effort to go really take a case to trial. Um, so, and, and the new new federal rules, new state rules have have helped move us to a position where most everything settles. The key now is to get it settled earlier, so it's more cost effective. Yeah. And so, I think technology will help us there. Do I think it'll get to the point where an algorithm will spit it out? I'm sure that's already happening with mediation, where you're having mediators that are using algorithms. I think the trial themselves, the trials themselves, especially the trials that involve uh, criminal trials, will need to be tried by people. Uh, yeah. Because that's you know that that's that you're dealing with people's personal freedom and such. But I think technology will continue to evolve. The courtroom certainly is a lot more technological than it used to be, uh, and the jurors are wicked smart and have access to technology and understand how trials work and have seen or listened to podcasts or seen television or uh, have tracked how cases work. And and so we you know the jury system I think is a is a great system. Uh, so I don't think you need to replace that. But I think technology will help us get to the right type of, of mediation or resolution earlier for the cases that don't need to be tried. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Shifting shifting a little bit, I know uh, you're based in law, it's your general practice, your career. I do think there's a lot of bus- general business tools we can take away from what you do. Um, other businesses can use in their business as well, no matter if it's an ag, uh, Anything outside of ag, I know we're both based in ag as well, but let's talk a little bit about negotiation. Obviously, probably a good arguer, do a lot of negotiating as a lawyer. In business, I think negotiation is extremely important as well, and I think that's a tool a lot of people probably don't have or have a lot of experience with. Um, Could you just share a few tips maybe you use in the courtroom for negotiation? or? I'll... um I'm going to take uh, 
on option two, I'll take on negotiation. The courtroom, courtroom is going to be court, case specific. And mm-hmm. uh, again, I would say in the courtroom, a lot of what I've already said, be yourself, um, yeah. uh, is the main is the main objective for a, for a lawyer. Uh, be be who you are. But I think for, when it comes to negotiation, which really happens outside the courtroom, yeah. I I think that you fundamentally see see an opportunity. Where folks aren't prepared for mediation, the first thing you have to have is you have to know you, if you're going to mediation is you have to know what you yourself define as success. Know what you want before you go into before you go into that mediation. So know what you define as um, an acceptable solution or a range of acceptable solutions. A lot of companies still go into mediations and will wait until it starts to start thinking that through. And good uh, lawyers that are good business partners have those hard conversations with their clients before the mediation starts to talk about, here's the cost in legal cost. Here's the risk in potential exposure. Here's the cost in business interruption in time. Here's the reputational cost you might have. It's all in a continuum and all an analysis. You don't answer it for the company. You help work them through it, but you make sure to ask those questions before the mediation starts. So you define that, define that early. So you have your kind of strategic plan and then how you're going to tactically implement it. And if you're going to mediation as you should go in good faith, what you want to do there is try to build a beachhead. Try to find a piece of uh, something you can agree on, on commonality, and then try to build off that. Yeah. Um, basically, just going back to one of your key lessons is being prepared. Being prepared. Yeah. Never regret being prepared. Yeah. So uh, I think it's also important. Um, I don't know how you feel on this, but how important is it to – know both sides of an argument. <laughs> we, uh, the biggest red flag for, uh, it's funny, this happened yesterday with my team on one of my clients on a case we have, and we all read a uh, court order uh, separately, and then we conferred, and we all read it the same way. And so what you're doing at that point is tactically figuring out how that change may change our strategic plan, and then if it changes that plan, then tactically how what you're going to do as a result of it. But we all read it the same way, which I was like, okay, we're done. We're stopping right now, okay? Mm-hmm. We're going to come back tomorrow, and we're all going to argue the other side. Yeah. So we all think it, the answer is A, then let's all come in tomorrow with a different answer, and let's, 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 let's pressure test it yeah. and, and take that, uh, really. Because if you don't do that, you, you can give into to groupthink and a narrative fallacy where you get ahead and then you, you justify what's happened. So you have to continue to have that challenge culture. And you're not challenging the person. You're challenging the idea or the assumption. Yeah. And that's um, vital to any good team. All my teams have challenged it. Anybody can challenge anybody on any issue. Again, it's not personal. You're not challenging the person, but you're challenging the idea or the concept or the or the conclusion. Yeah, you said uh, what you when you go into negotiation, what you deem as success, being prepared. As part of that preparation, is is that what they deem? You think about what they deem success is as well. well absolutely. You have to if you haven't gamed the other side, and we mock we mock uh, you know practice. I guess you would take it where we would have another team be the other side. And most of the time when I do those, I will take the other side and argue the other side's position. Because when I'm given the other side's facts and then I'm arguing them and advocating for them internally, this is obviously a confidential internal thing we do, um, it it gives me a new perspective because now I'm arguing for the, it's hard for me to say it, the Arkansas Razorbacks. So for instance, if I was going to try to argue, it's so hard to argue for Arkansas, 
such a heavy lift, but I would try to figure out a way to support how Arkansas could ever beat Missouri in football. Yeah. And it'd be a tough thing to do. But I would try to do that so I'd better understand, uh, better understand what was, what was going to happen next time we play. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Do you uh... – do you, on your negotiation, do you, pl- I know on like our partnership, some stuff we do in our business, we always go for like a win-win situation. On your negotiation, are you always, are you trying to get a win-win for both parties or how do you go about that? Sure. I mean, my primary focus is my client. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I need to know my client and my client's business. So it's not about anything about me or anything about my firm. It's always about the client, mm-hmm. client focused. I think some lawyers get caught in the trap of saying, I'm going to win this, and they get their objective. So in some situations, my clients uh, will have an interest in how a resolution might impact them in the marketplace mm-hmm. or how, in some instances, it may be a dispute, not a, not litigation per se, Jordan, but a, a dispute. They may have a business relationship with this company. Yeah. So going to trench warfare and slogging it out for years isn't going to benefit anybody. So certainly you have to have what the client uh, deems as successful in mind. But the lawyer has to help the client get to that by asking questions and, and doing the assessment. Uh, my theory, and we don't, get, we don't want to bore you with it, but my theory of most of the time we're, we're defending uh, cases or claims is aggressive defense, which is we get, because we represent companies and have represented them for years, we have an uh, advantage over our opponents because their lawyers because we've worked with the same company we understand their product and their business model and their competitors and the marketplace so we can more quickly get to a resolution of what we think actually happened in the dispute or why the actual contract broke down and then defend put together a strategic plan that pushes the tactical fight at the best time and place and issue for us and you know, you want to win, but you want to you want to get it done as efficiently as effectively as possible. It's not about beating the other side; it's getting a win for your co- your yeah. client. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, another tool I wanted to talk about, I think we can both relate on, is how how important are writing skills, um, speaking skills, critical thinking skills in business? I really think these are undervalued skills as a whole when we're moving over probably not in the law industry per se because everyone has that but when we jump into business agriculture whatnot I think those are very undervalued skills and I'm uh, as you know I'm pretty young trying to make some plays and one thing I really think that set me apart from the crowd is some of those skills I just explained to you um, how important do you think those are and what can they do for businesses you feel like I think they're absolutely vital I'll add one more and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I think yeah. they're vital I'd add listening listening to that the writing speaking critical thinking and listening are absolute foundational fundamental skills if you want to succeed in business uh, and specifically if you want to if you're in a service industry like law absolutely essential and I think one of the trouble problems we have and this is one of the reasons I'm involved with some of the groups that are helping prepare students uh, that are coming out of high school and college and law school for the for the world they're going to be in Those skills don't show up if you take all your tests on a computer with an algorithm feeding you additional questions. That's a great tool and allows you to be challenged because the computer can decide, continue to feed you more difficult, more difficult questions and can can stress uh, issues that are important. So 
I, I'm not downplaying the fact that you need to use the computer, but the computer, when you're interacting with that computer keyboard, you're not listening, you're not writing, you're not speaking. Mm -hmm. You may be using critical thinking, but you also might be just doing game theory. And game theory is important, but really critical thinking is, is interaction and interpersonal interaction. And I think interpersonal inter interaction still matters. And if you read Gladwell or if you read some of the some of the writers on this, great Malcolm Gladwell's great, great podcast also, mm -hmm. Revisionist History. And Malcolm Gladwell's books are all great reads. I've enjoyed them all. Um, I should have added those to my book list. Yeah. But, you know, a huge percent of interaction uh, with human beings is nonverbal. And if you don't have those skills, and if it's all just text messages and emails, I think you're missing out. And so when we interview uh, someone at this firm, whether it be for a legal position or a, a marketing position or a legal assistant, those interpersonal skills that you talked about, writing, speaking, critical thinking, and listening, those are all things that we look at, look to. Yeah, I think they're uh, majorly important. I think that it really sets you apart from the crowd, honestly, um, when it comes down to just basic skills everybody knows in business. And I'm starting to see that now, um, now that I've kind of taken off with my career and what some others I went to school with are doing with theirs. But uh, back to a little bit about um, Lathrop, and let's jump into a little bit about ag. Um, where, do you, where do you see agriculture as a whole moving in the next three to five years? Um, my dad always talks about fragmentation. He says where there's fragmentation, there's obviously opportunity. What are, uh, what are some upcoming opportunities you're seeing in the ag space? Yeah, the... Uh the market eat the market eats fragmentation. You know, I, I think I think all businesses need to need to need, that are here today need to know that we're standing on crumbling ground. Okay, so it changes coming, no matter what you're doing. And if you want to set your your strategic plan for 25 years, this is what we're going to do. It's a big mistake. You've got to be more flexible. I think there's going to be an agriculture that we're going to see continue to see more consolidation. I wish I could come up with a cogent argument to the argument you and I talked about earlier that you and your dad and I've discussed, which is as we move forward, we're going to have higher yield, lower margins. So the people that are going to make money globally are the lowest cost providers. So decide what, what, where you want to be in that. What race? Yeah, what race do you want to run? And uh, I wish I could come up with a cogent <laughs> argument against it. But I, I, I fear that's where we are and, and need to plan accordingly. In law, we're going to see continued uh, consolidation because clients are going to want continued breadth and depth of experience. And they're going to want to work with firms, I think, that know them and know their business. But I think there's going to be uh, more turnover in, in businesses and we need to get used to that. And I think the way we work and how we work and where we work are going to be different. I'm sure uh, in 25 years, law firms will have offices. We'll probably have a floor like you and I are on right here. But the rest of the offices may not look that way or they may mm -hmm. not even be there. The people may be working remotely or we're working in different ways. So just have to know that we're, in a con we're standing on crumbling ground. And so you better get get a handhold and get to climbing. Yeah. Standing where you are is not going to work. Yeah, not to uh, – you don't have to mention any clients – you're working with, but where do you see them starting to pivot? Um, I know you mentioned some plant-based meats they're starting to get into. Yeah, we, I think it depends. And I work in a variety of different industries, uh, some in agriculture, some not in agriculture. And then I have 
some of the businesses I'm involved in personally outside of law. And uh, it's every the, the ones that are that are I think heading in the right direction are really looking to identify the disruptive technologies and trying to get out ahead and looking to try to uh, figure out how to get ahead of those issues. And if you can't get ahead of it, at least being cognizant of the fact that disruption's coming. So, for instance, if you're doing row crop production, uh, you know disruption's coming. Be cautious of it. Be conscious of it. Be be, be aware of it. Um, so the clients I have are looking, uh, in some are iconic uh, clients, are looking to not just sit with what they've done the last 10 or 20 years, but looking at what the other options are. In many instances, and this is interesting to me because they're wide-ranging, they're looking to segment their market. I know we talked about fragmentation being bad, but this is segmenting. So giving their customers, instead of saying this is option, this is what you get, they're going to their customers and trying to figure out what their customers want and then segmenting to say here are three different options. And some of the option A might be the standard technology. Option B is a completely different way of providing the goods or service. And option C is yet another different way of doing it. And then letting the market kind of decide where the future is going to be. So you've got to be creative. You've got to be innovative. And you've got to either be a disruptor or at least be conscious of the disruptors. Yeah, you talked about the consumer a little bit there at the end. How how important is that now? Um, They're they're obviously making the calls. It it used to be, we always say, it used to be the farmers. Like, hey, this is what I grow. It's what you're eating. Now, we feel like the game's completely changed. It's... The consumers like no, this is what you're growing. No, and if you, you see it, if you if you're looking at it, and uh, you know it's another discussion you, we've had is that you know how you're growing it's not is going to be as is going to be important as well as what you're growing. Mm-hmm. And you, you ignore the consumer at your peril, and you're seeing that in a number of different areas. Uh, differentiators that we've talked about is sustainability a differentiator. Yeah, until it's absolutely required by every contract. Okay, which we could, you know, we're moving moving closer and closer to regenerative ag, which we've t- debated, isn't defined yet, and you know, we'll see how that plays out. But that's going to be a differentiator until if the, mar- the market will dictate how important that is. Yeah. Last uh, last question. Last question on Lathrop. Uh, where do you see Lathrop GPM in the next three to five years? I think we're going to continue to grow. Uh, the the uh, the GPM addition of GPM has really been. Uh, great, fantastic lawyers, and, and, and extended our practice area depth and breadth, and our geographic area. I think we'll continue to grow. And uh, you know, our, there are law firms that are you know weighing in at five thousand plus lawyers. We're not looking to do that, but we're looking to make sure we can serve our clients. And we're talking about talking to your customers, we're going to our clients on a regular basis, saying, "Where do you need us? Where do you need more breadth? Where do you mean? Where do you where do you mean more depth?" What do you need us geographically, and making sure that we're fulfilling those needs? Yeah, I think that's one shift I've seen on AgSwag as well. Um, kind of going to the customer and saying, "Hey, where, where can I help you? Right? Where, where are you guys? Where are you guys struggling? What what can I provide to make life easier for you?" Yeah, but you're and you do a good job with that. And I mean, but you also are then saying, "And here are some options." Mm-hmm. And we're doing the same thing. Yeah. So you know, here's what we do for you now. Just and some clients don't care about geography. I don't care about, you know, they want to have, but they want to have, I need this specific area. I need to have expertise in the flux capacitor, you know, so we better get, better get somebody that can knows, better hire Doc Brown to help us do the flux capacitor. Yeah. Yeah. Ending with a little bit of fun, another curveball for you. Um, I just want you to finish this sentence for me. Jay Felton is. (laughs) 
Um, one of the luckiest guys you're probably going to get to talk to in 2020. Or you can go with the guy that's going to buy you lunch, whichever oh, one you want to go there with. There we go. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, before we wrap things up, you've listened to the podcast. You know what's coming. Um, I would just love for you to tell our listeners one piece of advice or life lesson that's had the most impact on Jay Felton. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I've said it before, but be who you are. Be true to yourself. And uh, I think in the end, strive to do the right thing. Don't don't worry about the, uh, the recognition or trying to be remembered. Do the right thing. Yeah, I think that's an awesome lesson, something I've been preached in my life. Um, I just, again, want to tell you thank you for your time. Thanks for having me over. Another great uh, opportunity to check out the building. He's going to try to get me to move in here, I think. Come over anytime, and uh, and it's been great talking to you. And, uh, I, I again, I don't know if I'll get my uh, my 14-year-old to listen to this to see it, but I uh, appreciate all the listeners out there uh, taking the time to hear us talk today, hear a couple of friends talk. Yeah, and if you guys have any uh, questions on Lathrop GPM or uh, interested in maybe working with them, anything on that end, feel free to uh, reply to this podcast or uh, shoot me an email. I'll definitely get you in touch with Jay. But uh, I think that's all our time today, and uh, I sure appreciate it, guys. Have a great day.